Cigar Thoughts, Game 5, Disaster in Seattle. We all knew it would be weird tonight. Most Seahawks games involve some heavy petting of the Twilight Zone, but this one achieved full coitus with the bizarre. Let's get to it. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. The Rams opened the game with the ball, and their first drive lasted five plays. One of them was a sharp comeback route to Van Jefferson for 16 yards, but the Seahawks' defense was stout on the other four, forcing a punt and building some much-needed confidence. They rallied to ball carriers, pressed in coverage, and required Matthew Stafford to pass into tight windows, throws he'd miss as often as not all first half. That gave the ball to Seattle, and they immediately checked every box that was missing from last week's start. Using pre-snap motion, play action, and a moving pocket, the Seahawks put Russell Wilson in position to scan the field and hit a wide-open Tyler Lockett for 25. A handoff to Alex Collins got three, and a quick out to Lockett got four to bring up third and three at LA's 43. After Aaron Donald forced an incompletion, the Seahawks chickened out and punted away. It was such a disappointing end to a sequence that had been going beautifully for Seattle. Anytime you get near scoring position, you simply have to prioritize getting points, and that's especially true against a team like the Rams. Just a big old bummer. Fortunately, the defense was up to the task, allowing another first down before squeezing things and getting the ball back via another punt. Bullet dodged. The Seahawks' second drive was solid too, leaning heavily on the run and using one big pass to DK Metcalf to move the ball back into Rams territory. On that play, Wilson dropped back as the pocket began to crumble. Seeing an escape route to his left, he hopped out of trouble, set his feet, and whipped the ball downfield. Meanwhile, Metcalf stacked Jalen Ramsey on a seam route and, sensing his QB on the move, spun Ramsey around and moved left. The throw was on time and on target, with DK snagging it and nearly ending the life of the other defensive back who came over to tackle him. After that, it was three straight runs to LA's 27, setting up fourth and two. Unlike last time, Pete Carroll made the right choice and kept the offense on the field. The play call, however, was a bit more dubious. Seattle, the team with Russell Wilson as their quarterback, handed it off for the fourth straight play and Collins was gobbled up by Aaron Donald. Replay showed that Collins may have had a gap to his left, but either way, it was another big nothing for the Hawks' offense. And while I can live with the outcome in a vacuum, my fear is that it will lead to even more future fourth-down cowardice. I hope I'm wrong. The Rams' offense took advantage of the opportunity their defense afforded them and proceeded to chunk their way to 62 yards on the next seven plays, including a perfectly timed screen pass to Daryl Henderson. That set them up on Seattle's eight, and the first score of the game was certain, or so it seemed. Seattle's D-line would bring pressure on the next play, forcing Stafford to roll right. Seattle's coverage stayed tight, and Stafford threw it away, or at least he would have if Quandre Diggs didn't exist. Diggs, who tracked Stafford like a leopard from the back of the end zone, exploded across the field to intercept the pass and send the Lumen Field crowd into an uproar. Now, not to be outdone, Wilson would hand it right back four plays later. After a scramble and a couple of handoffs, Wilson stepped back and unleashed a rifle shot to an in-breaking locket. In-routes are the hardest to time, and when Ramsey is in coverage, as he was here, that margin for error becomes almost indistinct. So it was on this throw, as the ball, intended for Tyler's front shoulder, ended up on his back one. That minor misplacement allowed Jamsey to jab the ball away, popping it up in the air where it was corralled by a diving Troy Reader for Wilson's first interception of the season. Not that L.A. would do anything with it. Their ensuing three, out, and punt put the ball back in Seattle's hands at their own 17 with slightly over 10 minutes left in the second quarter. Somehow, this game was still scoreless. The stalemate would end on the next drive, 
with Wilson & Co. finally breaking through. It started with a slick little shovel pass to Penny Hart and was followed by a field-flipping pass interference call after Lockett vaporized a cornerback up the right sideline. The desperate penalty was the only thing saving a touchdown, but it only delayed the inevitable. After Collins got three on first down, Wilson took a shotgun snap, looked right, and fired. In his robotic sights was the broad, rippling chest of Metcalf, whose expert positioning shielded Ramsey and safety Taylor Rapp from the ball. Wilson's pass hit him at the two, and DK did the rest from there, powering into the end zone and giving Seattle a 7-0 lead. Finally. Goddamn. Now, it had been a while since the Seahawks' defense had allowed a long, will-crushing scoring drive, and I think they realized that. Making amends, they allowed the Rams to gobble up eight minutes of clock on a plodding, 14-play drive that included one fourth-down conversion, and almost certainly would have included another, had Stafford not hurt his finger a couple plays prior. Facing fourth and one, and with the Rams' QB flexing and looking at his bothered digit, head coach Sean McVay mercifully relented and sent out the kicker Matt Gay to make it 7-3. That left Seattle with just enough time, roughly a minute and a half, to make this a two-score game. If they could accomplish that feat, they'd immediately have a chance to make it three scores, as they'd be receiving the second-half kickoff as well. Things started swimmingly, with Wilson dotting up DJ Dallas for 29 on a pristine wheel route. Then it was Dallas up the middle for four, followed by a roughing call against Donald that put the Hawks at LA's 24. Immediately following that blessing, Wilson found Freddie Swain over the middle for nine, putting Seattle firmly in the go zone. They'd capitalize on the very next play, with Russ expertly climbing the pocket and zipping the ball to an open locket in the back of the end zone just before halftime. A fantastic ending to a much-needed drive. Except. The celebration was cut short as a flag was discovered in the backfield. Erstwhile left tackle Dwayne Brown was called for a holding penalty, and the score came off the board. Not only did the penalty erase the points, it ate up valuable clock. Not only did it eat up valuable clock, it moved them out of quick strike range. Not only that, it forced them to settle for a field goal. And not only that, Jason Myers flubbed the kick left. 14-3 became 10-3 became 7-3. It was also the last time we'd be remotely happy. Four first-half trips into Rams territory ended thusly. Punt on 4th and 3, failed 4th down run, touchdown, missed field goal, 7 points. They had let the Rams off the hook too many times early, and those cocks would come home to roost in a big way after halftime. The first drive of the second half started well, with the Seahawks picking up two first downs and getting as far as midfield before incompletions and a sack brought Michael Dixon out to boot it away again. Dixon took the long snap and calmly skied his kick into the night, carrying 54 yards effortlessly to LA's 1 where the ball landed like a perfectly struck nine iron and spun back to the four. An exquisite effort from an exquisite boy. The Seahawks defense, which had been playing their asses off thus far, kept up the charade for a few more plays. They eventually got the Rams into a third and ten deep in their own territory, but like a pot of popcorn on the stove, it was only a matter of time before the lid came off. That ultimately happened on the next play, with Stafford dropping back and unleashing his howitzer of a throwing arm. In actuality, Good interior pressure forced the Rams QB to throw it a little early, but the art gave all-time deep threat to Sean Jackson just enough time to work his magic. The one cardinal sin in any Pete Carroll defense is letting a receiver beat you over the top. Never mind that such an insistent comes at the cost of a thousand paper cuts. You just can't let it happen. Not in his world. On this play, Jackson got just about even with the backpedaling Jamal Adams. Just enough that Adams turned to run upfield with the speedster. Instead, the ball came up short. Something Jackson saw, but Adams didn't. As Jamal ran headlong into the void, Jackson swooped back under the pass, caught it, and zoomed across the field and out of bounds inside Seattle's 10. Guess Stafford's hand was okay after all. Two plays later, Daryl Henderson was tumbling into the end zone to make it 9-7. to 
because Gay would clank the extra point off the upright. You miss one, I miss one. In the moment, it seemed like that missed kick might come into play down the stretch. And when Gay hooked the next kickoff out of bounds, it seemed like the second straight week in which an opposing kicker may play a big role in a Seahawks victory. I said it seemed like it. Jeez. The Seahawks would gain all of negative one yards on their next drive before punting it away, but a universe of angst existed within that innocuous sentence. On second down, Wilson fell back in the pocket and looked to answer LA's big play with one of his own. With Lockett breaking free up the right side, Russ launched the ball towards his diminutive partner the way we've seen so many great plays start before. This pass, sadly, sailed a foot beyond Lockett's spindly little arms, but that wasn't the worst of it. As Wilson finished his throw, his throwing hand hit that of Aaron Donald, the velocity of the impact dislocating the star QB's middle finger. Wilson, to his credit, stayed in the game, but I don't think anyone on the field was expecting pass, despite it being 3rd and 10. After the ensuing punt and tasting the kill, the Rams continued pushing forward, running five plays for four first downs, including a TD pass to Tyler Higby, who easily bested Adams in the right front corner of the end zone, 16-7. This whole time, the entire Pacific Northwest had been holding their collective breath, wondering about the extent of Wilson's injury. To our great relief, the bionic QB trotted back out onto the field. To our horror, his next pass attempt was a full-on glitch. The team drew up an easy one for him, a quick screen to Colby Parkinson. But even that throw fluttered and almost didn't reach its target. Russ was done for the day and we all knew it. He'd stay in long enough to take a sack before trundling off the field and handing it over to his punter yet again. With everything falling apart around him, Michael Dixon playfully headed back out there to do his job. As he received the snap and readied his kick, a Rams defender came flying up the middle. He blocked the punt, sending the ball spinning off to the left. No matter. Like a modern-day Tom Bombadil, unfazed as he giggles and dances his way through a world of torment and chaos, Dixon bounded over and scooped up the ball with one hand like a fucking maniac. At this point, the game had basically become Calvin Ball, and, in the absence of rules, Dixon did what he does best. After palming the ball, he darted around like he was going to run for it before pulling up and launching a, I can't believe I'm saying this, 68-yard punt while everything else descended into madness. Absolutely no one knew what the rules were at this point, and Dixon sat off to the side laughing and writing ditties about magic while refs threw flags, picked them up, discussed their options, and ultimately let the play stand. The defense would actually hold this time, thanks in large part to a Stafford misfire, and that brought on one Geno Smith. At this point, the contest was all but forfeit, and I think most of us were just wondering how ugly the game, and the season, was going to get. To make matters worse, the Rams had pinned Seattle on their own too. The hurricane was beating down on Russ's poor understudy, the hounds of war barking and clawing at his door. But Geno stood defiantly against the tempest burying his teeth against oncoming death and kicked those hellhounds right in their nuts. After a short run gave them a modicum of breathing room, Metcalf drew a P.I. against Ramsey, and then Smith hit Metcalf on an in-route that DK deftly turned into a 17-yard gain by dancing around receivers like some sort of mythical beast. After that, Geno took flight. He dragged this beleaguered team all 98 yards through sheer fuck-you grit. After nine confident-looking plays, Smith dropped back, looked downfield, and threw left. On the other end of the play, Metcalf staggered the DB with a double move and stared into his frightened eyes as the defender fell over in terror. That allowed DK to glide under the pass in the end zone for a 23-yard score that somehow kept this game within reach at 16-14. If there was any mercy on this woebegotten night, the Seahawks would find one more stand. One last show of resistance to let the people believe the impossible could happen. Instead, they splintered like balsa wood. 
Robert Woods and Cooper Cup continued to crisscross the field as unbothered as if they were running seven-on-sevens in the offseason. It was too easy for Stafford, throwing effortlessly into gaping pockets for big gains at will. It was only a matter of time before Sony Michelle would saunter untouched into the end zone to make it 23-14. Down two scores with six minutes left, it was finally curtains for the home team. Except no one told Geno Smith that. Following his 10-play scoring drive, Smith went back out there like a motherfucking professional and led an 11-play scoring drive. This one featured consecutive completions to Lockett, Collins, Metcalf, and Collins again, along with some effective runs, before finally stalling out at the Rams' 14. On 4th and 10 and needing two scores regardless, Seattle took the short field goal, successful this time, and cut the lead to 6 at 23-17. To make a weird night even goofier, the Seahawks forced a 3 and out, using their timeouts to keep the Rams' possession under a minute and giving Geno the God one last chance. The emotions in the stadium at this point were more confusing than puberty and every bit as exciting. One shot at glory, undoubtedly an opportunity Smith has been imagining from behind his clipboard for four years. So far, Smith's two possessions totaled 21 plays, covered 166 yards, and resulted in 10 points. Could he do it again? Nope. He threw a pick on the first play, and that was that. Replay showed that there was slight contact between the DB and his intended receiver Lockett, but it looked pretty incidental. Even so, Lockett ended up flailed across the turf, whether through tripping over his own feet or trying to sell the contact as a penalty. Either way, no flag was thrown, and the ball flew directly to a defender to wrap this one up. The Rams would add a field goal to make it 26-17, but it didn't really matter. LA moved to 4-1 while Seattle fell to 2-3, suffering their third loss in the last 26 days. Smoke rings. Russell Wilson came into this game leading the NFL in yards per pass, touchdown percentage, and passer rating. For all of the offense's intermittent struggles this season, Wilson has been, on aggregate, as good as ever. And yet, no matter where we fall with him or this team, we all seem to be holding back from saying that this is his best work. I think most of that has to do with the stretches of pure futility that have been exacerbated by a defense that struggles to get off the field. And I think we're also all a bit gun-shy after last year's blazing start. The numbers in this one were pretty good before the injury. He'd finish 11 of 16 for 153 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. But it very easily could have been two scores, sans the hold. He was good overall, and his stats were pretty in line with the absurd efficiency he's shown thus far this season. What really matters, however, is the severity of his injury. I have no medical insight and won't pretend to here, but one thing I am assuming is that having an exploded finger on your throwing hand is not ideal for an NFL quarterback. I know QBs have played through hand and finger injuries before, so I don't know if this is going to be a pain tolerance thing or more of a let it heal situation. I suppose it's going to be a wait and see deal. Just what we need. Some existential consternation added to an already tense season. I gotta hand it to Geno Smith though. My man was ready. I imagine it's got to be difficult to spend so much time without game action and remain poised and prepared to enter a situation like the one Smith did tonight. And, outside of an interception that probably wasn't his fault, he was remarkable. Whenever something as dramatic as an injury to a previously indestructible Hall of Fame quarterback happens, extra weight is naturally given to what happens in the aftermath. There's going to be a lot of piping hot takery over the next week and a half about Russell Wilson and Geno Smith, and so I ask, as much as is possible in this newly post-apocalyptic world, to just chill on whatever crazy-ass thoughts are bouncing around that tortured skull of yours. For now, let's just discuss what we saw from him in this game. His final numbers actually mirrored Wilson's almost exactly. 10 for 17, 131 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He didn't connect on any of his final four passes of the night, meaning he started out 10 of 13 at a 10.1 yards per attempt clip. That is absolutely sensational, especially given the circumstances. 
More than anything, he looked ready. He stood strong in the pocket, got out of trouble when he needed to, and threw with confidence. It didn't feel like a backup out there, and that's about as good as you can hope for. If Russ does miss some games for the first time in his career, I feel a lot better than I would have prior. Not good, but better. With Chris Carson out, the burden of Seattle's ball carrying fell on the shifty shoulders of Alex Collins and the more straight-line DJ Dallas. Last week, Collins provided a crucial jolt to a struggling offense, and I thought that, for the most part, he looked pretty good in this one. There never was much room to run, but on the rare occasions where he did find some, he looked as slippery as he did against the Niners. Collins carried the ball 15 times, but only managed 47 yards, including a potential missed gap on the early fourth and short. He did catch two of his three targets for another 25 yards, though, giving him a respectable 72 overall. Not great, not terrible. Dallas, for his part, had four carries for seven yards and also caught two balls, his going for 32 through the air. All in all, 111 yards on 23 touches for the running backs. Eh. Much was made, and for good reason, of the matchup between DK Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey. These are flat out two of the best, and certainly coolest, players at their position, and anytime they lock horns, you know we're in for some peak football. And Seattle didn't shy away from the matchup, giving Metcalf four opportunities against Ramsey in this game. In the first half, Metcalf was targeted twice, and he made both opportunities count. On the first one, DK put Jalen in absolute hell by stopping his route up the hash marks, juking inside, and sprinting back towards the sideline for the catch. On the second one, Metcalf exploded up the right side from the Rams' 19, immediately chewing up the generous cushion Ramsey granted him, receiving the football inside of Ramsey's backpedal, and trucking his way into the end zone. With Seattle's offense sputtering and Wilson's finger busted, Metcalf wouldn't see another look until the fourth quarter, when Geno Smith found him on a skinny post. On that play, DK again got a step on Ramsey and drew a pass interference call. On the very next snap, he beat Ramsey inside again, juked him and another defender, and wriggled upfield for 17. At the end of the day, DK was 3-for-3 against Jalen for 61 yards and a score, plus the penalty. Absolutely plopped his balls on the table in this one, outplaying arguably the best cover corner in the world. Metcalf was also targeted twice when covered by others, and he caught both of those as well, for 37 more yards and another TD. He was nigh unstoppable tonight. In fact, counting the playoff game against LA last year, he now has nine catches for 193 yards and four touchdowns in his last two matchups with the Rams. Mercy. Since being drafted, no player in the NFL has drawn more pass interference yards than Tyler Lockett. We saw more of that today, as he drew a defensive hold in the first quarter and a massive 47-yard DPI in the second, a play that set up Seattle's first touchdown. We already knew about his tremendous statistical prowess, but this is one area in which he really separates himself as a receiver. And as far as his non-penalty production goes, that was also decent, as he turned 10 targets into 5 catches for 57 yards. Add in the penalties, and he accounted for 109 yards, and would have added a 15-yard score to that if not for the hold late in the second. Basically, an almost big day for Tyler. The Rams had only allowed four sacks through four games, the fewest in the NFL, and Seattle didn't do much better. Daryl Taylor collapsed the line in the first quarter to drag Stafford down for a sack, his fourth of the season already, but that would be the only one the Hawks would get. For all of Seattle's defensive struggles, Taylor is turning into the monster they drafted him to be right before our eyes. That's good, at least. Puna Ford had a few nice plays in the run game tonight, but until his batted pass in the fourth quarter, I don't think I'd heard Carlos Dunlap's name called in a month. All in all, the defensive front really struggled, especially against the run. They held their own for as long as they could, but the dam ultimately broke in the second half. By then, LA basically had their way. 
The Rams ran 28 times for 120 yards and two TDs, while Stafford racked up 365 and another score through the air. Frankly, it could have slash should have been a lot more, but he missed some throws he normally hits. I know the Rams are really good, but at this point, I think it's safe to say this defense stinks. Another season, another year of Bobby Wagner leading the NFL in tackles. He entered this game with, fittingly, 54, and there was no doubt he'd be busy tonight. Except he sort of wasn't. I'm not sure if he was a step slow or if the Rams were keying him some unique blocks or what, but four tackles in an otherwise empty stat sheet is a rarity to say the least. It's not a pattern, so I'm not overly worried about him, but they needed more from their captain tonight. Jordan Brooks led the way with 10 tackles, sticking his nose in where he could, but far too often it was too far downfield. He continues to struggle in coverage, but I truly think that whatever Pete Carroll and Ken Norton Jr. are calling this scheme, it's making coverage assignments virtually impossible for the LBs. It's likely that no team Seattle plays this season will stress the secondary as much as the Rams, and I thought they played their butts off in response. For the first half, at least. Quandre Diggs was especially good tonight, providing sticky coverage, sure tackling, and the lone turnover. He also looked the maddest on defensive breakdown, so I'm choosing to believe he was the one doing his job. DJ Reed was given absolutely everything he could handle in this one, and he was mostly up to the task. Certainly as much as any of us could reasonably hope for. Targeted relentlessly, he stuck to Cooper Cup and Robert Woods as best he could, and while he allowed his share of catches, he was almost always in good position and eliminated the big plays. Then, in the second half, the team switched to his zone and he got chewed up, just like every other corner has whenever the Seahawks switched to that coverage. Then, in the second half, the team switched to his zone and he got chewed up, just like every other corner has whenever the Hawks go to that coverage. I just don't understand it. It's not like they're devoid of talent. Man, this was an atrocious game for Jamal Adams. He had some brutal moments in this one, getting beat by Deshaun Jackson deep, then Tyler Higby short for LA's two best passing plays of the game. He was out of position on a few other plays and missed a big tackle on a third down run. I'm a huge fan of Adams, but he looked completely lost today. They almost all did, for the third time in four games. This defensive team reeks like plagued carcasses. I don't really think it's an issue of ability. I think the whole thing has to go, schematically at least. Michael Dixon is a goddamn wizard. That is all. Look, this was a rough one, even without the Wilson injury. It's hard to paint an optimistic path forward as Seattle currently sits two and a half games out of first place in their division. And frankly, they just don't look the part of a real contender. They have rarely answered the bell when adversity shows up, and their two wins have come against teams with good rosters but dubious quarterback play. If that's what it takes for them to win, they're in big trouble. Fortunately, they draw Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers next Sunday night with the chance to get back to 500 and raise our spirits in the process. In the meantime, it's going to be a long 10 days. This team isn't cooked, but they're simmering. We'll all have to keep a closer eye on the oven this season than we're used to. Right now, it still feels like they can turn this around and make a playoff push, but it's also looking like it might come apart more than it has in a decade. These next few games are going to be monumental. Until then, onwards and upwards. This game might have sucked, but the stogie I smoked didn't. I enjoyed the hell out of a My Father limited edition Garcia y Garcia Toro. An immaculately smooth smoke that stayed consistent throughout and never got too hot. And the smell is intoxicating. Countered it with an American Prairie bourbon from High West. Tremendous combo. This is the third year of our incredible partnership with Seattle Cigar Concierge. They have the plug on some of the most insane stogies on the market, and they're offering them to Cigar Thoughts readers for 20% off. These are extremely special sticks, and among the most enjoyable I've ever smoked. To get the hookup, just email seattlecigarconcierge at gmail.com. 
They are carrying over 70 cigar brands with many rare releases, including Davidoff, Opus X, and Padron. You can also hit them up on Twitter, at Seattle Cigars. Many of you have taken advantage of this incredible opportunity, and for those who have always wondered what elite cigars are like, this is the best opportunity you'll get to step into that world. That's going to do it for this week's article, friends. Tough one all around. But before I go, I do want to talk a little bit about the fact that Seahawks legend Marshawn Lynch has just been named the chief ambassador by the NFL Players Association. It's funny, Danny O'Neill and I talked about this on the podcast, but I don't think there's a more perfect fit. And it's ironic that the guy that all the media wanted to get fined because he wouldn't talk to them is now chief of outreach. But honestly, the sheer respect that Marshawn commands from players, I think makes him perfect for this role. You know, on his way out as a player, he made sure to tell everybody to take care of themselves, take care of their minds, take care of their money in a way that only Marshawn could. It's become a catchphrase for a lot of younger players. And he kind of straddles the generational gap of NFL athletes where he's been around long enough to be an OG, but is young enough that all these guys watched him play recently. And you know, they all look up to him. So his words are going to carry a lot of weight. I think this is a huge move by D Smith and the NFLPA to put Marshawn in this situation. I think he's going to thrive in it. I think it's going to be really good for players in a sport that is all about making the team's money and keeping them profitable and hasn't always been about that for players. All right, that's going to do it for tonight. I appreciate you guys reading, listening, checking out the podcast, basically supporting what we're doing. It means the world to me. It's been 10 years writing this article for you guys. The fact that so many people read it, love it, that it's a part of the conversation, it blows me away. So thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll catch you next week. Thank you.